Now, we are in Romans, uh, back in our Romans series, and uh, we're actually halfway through um, Romans chapter 8. And uh, Romans 8, a wonderful chapter because it begins by saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ. It ends by saying there is no separation from Christ, which means the theme of the chapter is assurance, assurance of salvation. And uh, we've learned so far that uh, when we uh, believe in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit and we are given the status of sons of God, which means we have a guaranteed inheritance. We're members of the family and we're going to get the future inheritance. And uh, that's what we got up to. So uh, we got up to verse um, 17, which says, uh, if we're children, uh, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... And then Paul says this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So that kind of sets the theme of the next section that we're looking at today, verses 18 uh, to 27. So let's hear the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we'll stop there. Well, let's ask God uh, to help us understand this passage. Our Heavenly Father, we know that uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. And so, Father, we thank you that we have something that is solid, something that we can build our lives on with confidence, uh, knowing that this is true. And we pray that today, Father, that as we consider this wonderful uh, promise that is in this passage, that it would fill us with hope, that it would fill us with joy, because we have so much uh, to look forward to. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things the um, Bible uh, speaks very plainly about is the fact that belonging to Christ does not remove you from suffering in this life. And uh, the reason for that is because when you belong to Christ, you're actually united to him. You share in his life. And what was life like for Jesus? 
Was it all smooth sailing, easy peasy? Not at all. The very path to glory that he tread was one of suffering. Okay? He was the man of sorrows. And therefore, if we're united to Christ, then we can be sure that we will walk that same path. Suffering as the path to glory. And so the big question that, that nearly every Christian will likely ask in life is this question. Is it worth it? Is it worth sticking with Jesus if he doesn't protect me from suffering? Is it worth sticking with Jesus if my life gets harder than it currently is? It's a question nearly every Christian will ask at some point in time. And some people come to the conclusion that it's not worth sticking with Jesus. Uh, I've met people who have said to me, I used to go to church, but then I lost my spouse and I just couldn't bring myself to go anymore. I've met someone who said something along the lines of, you know, I used to be a believer. I used to have faith, but suffering beat that out of me. And so the question is, what does the gospel offer us in our suffering? Is it worth it? Is it worth sticking with Jesus if suffering's included? And the answer from this passage is yes, it is worth it because the gospel guarantees you glory. Glory. And it's a glory that's so great, so wonderful, that it makes all the suffering any suffering worth enduring because there's glory coming. And so this passage, it gets that across by telling us three things about the glory. It tells us about the weight of glory. It tells us about the hope of glory. And it tells us about the help to glory. So let's have a look at those, those three things. First, the weight of glory. And you can see that in verse 18 where it says, uh, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so here in this verse, Paul, he's making a comparison between a, uh, the, the present time, that's what we're in right now, and a time that's coming which he calls the glory to be revealed to us. And what marks, what marks the present time according to this verse, though? What marks it is suffering. What kind of suffering is Paul talking about? Is he just talking about uh, you know, persecution? Uh, is he just talking about really hard things? No, he's actually talking about everything, every kind of suffering. You know, everything from, from arthritis to migraines, uh, everything from heart disease, diabetes, disabilities, Alzheimer's, cancer. He's talking about depression. He's talking about loneliness, grief, loss. He's talking about broken relationships, family tensions, bullying, abuse, marriage struggles, childlessness, miscarriages. He's talking about persecution, poverty, violence, accidents. He's talking about joblessness, mortgage stress, rental crises, rising living costs, car problems, scams, stolen belongings, natural disasters. I could go on and on. It includes all of these and more. Okay, what marks this present time is 
there is suffering. And the question is why? Why is this present time marked by suffering? Why is it like that? Why does it have to be like that? And maybe a more pointed question is, why do God's children have to suffer? Why? Well, Paul actually gives us some answers um, down further in the passage. So uh, just look at them quickly. So verse 20, he says that the creation was subjected uh, to futility, um, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And then if you look into verse 21, it says that the creation now is in bondage to corruption. And then verse 22, it says the whole creation has been groaning together uh, in the pains of childbirth until now. Uh, now, in some ways, that's all obvious stuff. You can tell just from experience that, you know, the physical world we live in that doesn't seem to work. You know, there's something wrong with it. You know, everything seems to break down and wear out. You know, you've always got to fix stuff. You can't just leave it and, and say, you know, there, the renovation's done. It's never done. It's always falling apart. Uh, and, you know, what, what happens to us? We, we constantly get sick. Uh, we die. And, you know, no matter how much safety you put in place, no, no matter how much education, accidents just keep happening, the road toll will never be zero. Now, why is that? And the answer here is that this world has been subjected to futility. And that's a reference to what we call the fall, the fall of creation. And the fall of creation, it's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, where we learn there that originally God made the world perfect. He made a world where there was no sin, there was no sickness, no suffering, no death. And yet what happened? As a result of humanity's rejection of our Creator. When Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God, that they didn't need God ruling over them, that they could rule themselves, at that point sin entered the world and in response God cursed creation. And uh, now, what is it? It's subjected to futility, it's in bondage to corruption. And it's been groaning ever since. Creation is groaning. Now, that's a very different view to the more popular view that you'll find in our culture that today. Uh, the more popular view, <clears throat> it goes like this. It says, physical matter randomly began with a bang. And over billions of years, slowly, things evolved and through natural selection, we've finally arrived at what we have today. That's the more popular view. But where does suffering and death fit into that more popular view? Suffering and death are essential ingredients to that view. The only way natural selection can go forward is through suffering and death. You know, it's survival of the fittest, which actually means that, you know, if you think about it, it's illogical to get upset about suffering and death because... They're just part of life. Just, you know, get on with it. But see, the Bible's view is so much different. The Bible's view is that suffering and death are not essential ingredients. They're actually an intrusion. They don't belong. That's not the way God originally made the world. And don't you see, that actually fits with our experience a lot better because it's certainly how we feel, 
the frustration we feel about all of this, the suffering about you know, death ruining so many things, we feel that frustration because it, it is an intrusion. We know it deep down. That it's not the way things are meant to be. But at least that gives us hope that maybe it can be restored. Now, the other answer Paul gives to why uh, we suffer, it's in verse 23. Uh, it's just that reference where he says that we, we groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our body. So he's saying the same thing, but just making it more personal. You know, the reason we get sick and injured and, uh, you know, parts aren't working properly anymore, uh, if you get a bit older than me, uh, the reason for that is because um, our bodies are fallen. Our bodies are fallen. And so, you know, you can, you can eat right, you can exercise like your doctor keeps telling you, and that may improve the quality of your life a little, but it can't put off the inevitable, that we're all wearing out. We're all going to die eventually. And so we see the physical world is groaning. We are groaning. And we're groaning because sin is still present in our lives. We still haven't been set free from the presence of sin, even though we've been saved from its power. But see, when we understand all of this, when we see that we're in a fallen world, we're in fallen bodies, that actually shapes our expectations. Because you know, most of us have this idea that, that we, we shouldn't suffer, that life should be easy. And then it's, when it's not, then we get really upset. But in some ways we should expect, no, no, this present time, what's it marked by? It's marked by suffering. And therefore you are going to suffer. I am going to suffer in life. Some of you are suffering at the moment. You're going through suffering. But this is, that's not all the main point of verse 18, is it? The main point of verse 18 is not to say, you know, look how much we suffer. The main point of verse 18 is to say that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. Do you see that's a, there's an image there of um, weighing things up. It's almost like the image is, you know, those old-fashioned scales where you can, you know, balance and see which one weighs more. And that's what Paul is doing here. In, in fact, suffering, we often talk about suffering as a weight. Now, it's something that weighs you down, a burden that brings you down. Uh, and the word glory has the very idea of weightiness in it. And so when Paul says, I consider suffering and glory, you can see it's like he's saying, I'm weighing them up, I've weighed them up, and I've found that they're just not worth comparing. There's no comparison. Now, so if we imagine all the sufferings that we can go through in this life, let's put them all on this side of the scales, and now let's take the glory that's to come, put it on this side of the scales, and what's going to happen to the scales? Junk! Instantly. It'll be like, you know, you take a grain of sand, you put it on this side, and then you take Mount Everest and put it on this side, and what's going to happen? There's no comparison. That's the image there. In fact, another verse that, that um, says the same thing, but perhaps a little bit more uh, strongly, is in 2 Corinthians uh, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, uh, where Paul says, this light momentary affliction, and he's talking about all the suffering, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Now, don't mishear this. Don't misunderstand this. This is not saying that you've got nothing to complain about if you're suffering. It's not saying that. It's not saying that suffering is easy. It's not saying that at all. You know, the Apostle Paul knew perhaps more than all of us here how suffering makes life miserable, how terrible it is. He knew it. And so he's not saying that suffering is, you know, uh, nothing to worry about. No, he's saying look at suffering in light of the gospel. Okay, get the gospel perspective. What's the gospel perspective? That Jesus has died on the cross, which means he's dealt with the cause of all suffering, which is sin. Okay, the sin that came into the world through Adam. The second Adam has gone and he's fixed that. He went to the cross. He's paid the penalty. He's risen from the dead. He's now glorified. And everyone who puts their trust in Jesus will one day share in that glory. And it's a glory that, that's going to be so wonderful. It will far outweigh all the sufferings. It will make all of the suffering in this life worth enduring through. And so just one application from that. None of us here should ever minimise um, suffering or the, or the pain of suffering. Don't minimise your own suffering. That's, that's not healthy. And especially don't minimise other people's suffering. Don't say to people... You know, stop your whining. You've got nothing to whinge about. That doesn't help. Hey, okay, don't say to people, it's not as bad as it could be. That doesn't help. See, what, what is Paul doing in this passage? He's not minimizing the pain of suffering. Instead, he's maximizing the glory that's coming. That's how you comfort. You don't minimize pain. Instead, you maximize. Look at what's coming. It'll all be worth it in the end. This is actually why Paul, uh, he likens the groaning of suffering to the pains of um, childbirth. And I think that's a helpful way to think about uh, suffering because, you know, childbirth, um, so I've heard, is very painful and uh, suffering is also very painful. But see, for those in Christ, all suffering, it is like childbirth. Okay, it's painful now. But all of that pain is leading to something wonderful, something so wonderful that the moment you lay your eyes on it, it makes it all worth it. See, that's, that's what I mean by the weight of glory. It will outweigh all the pain of this life and its coming. Well, that raises a question. What is the glory then? What, what exactly are we looking forward to? What is this glory that's going to be so so heavy and significant that it's just going to make all of the sufferings of this life seem to be light once we finally uh, get to it. Well, that brings us to our second point, which is the hope of glory. And the hope of glory is laid out in verses 19 to 25. So that, that big paragraph there. And the hope of glory all centers on what's going to happen to those people that Christ has saved. So have a look at verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay, there's a, a, a coming revelation, the revealing of the sons of God, which is a very interesting thing for Paul to say because so far in this chapter he's been saying that everyone who trusts in Jesus are already sons of God. Okay, you already have the status of a son 
And remember when we talked about that and we looked at how, you know, whether you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, if you put your trust in Jesus, you're made a son, not because it's denying gender, but back then only sons got the inheritance. So you have to be a son, otherwise you'd miss out on the inheritance, you know, the future glory. So we're all made sons in Christ. Uh, but verse 19 is saying that all that God intends his children to be still waits for a future revelation. Okay, what it means to be a child of God, there's still so much more coming. And, and verse 19, it's saying, <clears throat> uh, sorry, verse 21, if you look at verse 21, uh, it's saying that the, the glory that God's children will have in the future, it's going to be so blindingly powerful that verse 21 says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I wonder if you've ever seen footage of an atomic bomb going off. You know, it's like massive mushroom cloud goes way up into the sky. But what's happening on the ground when an atomic bomb goes off? It's like a shock wave that goes out like ripples in a pond and it destroys everything in its wake. And that's almost the image here in verse 21, except that it's reversed. It's not a, a shock wave of destruction. It's a shock wave of restoration. Because verse 21 is saying that when, when this explosion of glory happens in God's children, that it's going to send out ripples that will cover the whole earth and restore the entire creation. Which means that explosion of glory must be really something. So what is it then? Well, look down at verse 23, where it talks about, verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, and what does that mean? The redemption of our bodies. That's the coming glory, the redemption of our bodies. And so that's talking about, you know, at the end of time when Christ comes again, our bodies will be raised from the grave and transformed, glorified uh, is the um, technical word for that. And uh, what does that mean? Well, Philippians 3 verse 21 helps us out. I forgot to pass that to Ethan for the board, but uh, it just says that that at the end, Jesus, it says that he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, just think about that. When Jesus rose from the dead, that meant he could never die again. It meant that he was completely free from all of the effects of the fall. Okay? His body can never get sick, can never wear out. Endures forever, free from corruption, free from futility. And in fact, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was so glorious that even those who knew him best, they actually struggled to recognize him when they first saw him. Remember when Mary was in the garden and, and you know, Jesus talks to her and she says, Ah, oh, where's, his, where's his body gone? And he says, Mary. Then she sees, It's the Lord. See, and that's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, well, it was still him. It was still his body, but glorified. And, and he's saying that he's going to do that to all of his children when he comes again. 
He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And so that means that you know, when, when you're raised from the dead, that's going to be you in your body, but without any of the imperfections, without any of the corruption of the fall. That's what it's talking about. And so that means you, your body will have capabilities that right now we probably can't even fully understand. Because it means that our bodies will be free from sin. And not only that, but our bodies will never get sick. Okay, We will never get injured. We will never age. We will never feel pain or sorrow. And we'll never die. That means, you know, when this happens, the future glory, no need for hospitals, no need for doctors. Okay, All the nurses will be gone. Uh, they'll have a different job. Uh, no physios. There'll be no little you know, tablets in bottles anywhere, no chemists, don't need any of that stuff anymore. There'll be no need for disability services or funeral services, funeral parlors, none, all gone, all a distant memory. Uh, do you know, we can't even imagine how glorious it will be. Uh, in that first reading in the service today, Isaiah said that they shall run and not grow weary, they shall walk and not faint. That's what it will be like. Imagine a body like that, never growing weary. And, you know, that's actually something that everyone deep down longs for. Everyone, whether you're a believer or not, everyone deep down longs for that, longs for the perfect body. You know, even in our culture where there's no concept of physical life beyond the grave, there is still this unexplained longing to have a perfect body. Now, why do you think there's such an emphasis on exercise and health and dieting and cosmetics and, uh, and fitness and all these things? It's, it's like deep down everyone knows that our bodies were made for something more, something that you know, everyone's trying to attain through hard work, thinking if I can just get that perfect body, then my life will be all good again. And yet it's always out of grasp. Just when you think you've got it, it's almost like plucking a flower. It's just going to fade. You can't keep it. And eventually it does fade into nothing. But see, this the glory of the resurrected body, this is a body that doesn't come through hard work and sweat. It's one that God gives as a gift of grace. And this is a body that will never fade. It will endure forever. But that's not all. Remember... The redemption of our bodies, it's like an explosion of glory. It's going to send ripples that will transform the entire creation, which means that all of the splendor and all of the, the glory of creation in its, in its current state, that's nothing. <laughs> you know, we, we look at flowers, we look at um, sunsets and mountains and beaches, and we go, wow, look at that, isn't that beautiful? It's nothing yet. Okay, what will it be like when it's finally liberated from corruption? What will it be like? We just can't even imagine yet. Now, what will this world be like when there is no such thing as suffering and death? Remember all that big long list of things that I read out at the start? What will, what will creation be like when none of that exists? It's just incredible. But that's what's coming. And so we can see that you know, what is the hope of a believer? Is the hope of a believer heaven? 
It's not. That's not what we're looking forward to. That's not the end goal. What is the hope of the believer? It's actually a physical place. See, heaven is a spiritual place. It's where the souls of God's children go when you die, which is great. Paul says it's better than our current existence. But as great as it will be, that's not the end goal. That's not the ultimate longing. Because if that's all we got, if, if all we got after this life was heaven, that would almost be like a consolation prize because it would mean that we never got to live the life that God intended us to live, which is life in a body that is free from the effects of the fall and living in a creation that's free from the effects of the fall. That was the original purpose. That's why God made us. And until that happens, we're not actually living out who we're meant to be. But it's coming. This is the hope that we have. And so that means that one day you will finally get to do all of those things that you missed out on doing because you got too old, because your body couldn't handle it anymore. All those things that were always out of reach because you just didn't have the time or the resources to do those things. Uh, you know, so one day when, when this glory happens, you will get to play that instrument that you never had time to learn. You will get to create that garden that you're never able to finally achieve. You're, you will be able to climb that mountain, run that marathon, sail that sea, jump out of that plane. You know, all these things that we couldn't do because they're always out of reach. We ran out of time. Our bodies got too frail. Or we were just too scared because you might die. <laughs> See, one day you'll be able to do them all and it will be glorious. That's what this is saying. This is, it's a physical resurrection. This is our hope. That's what's coming. So verse 19 says creation is waiting eagerly for this. Uh, verse 23 says we are waiting eagerly for this. And then verses 24 to 25 reminds us that this is the hope. This is the hope of glory. And it says that um, this, this hope where we're saved, uh, hope that's seen is not hope. For who, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's the hope of glory. So, you know, we have this weight of glory. One day what's coming will outweigh everything now. We have the hope of glory, transformed bodies in a transformed creation. But that leads to another question. How can you be certain of all this? Because sometimes if you talk about this to people, do you know what their reaction will be? That's pie in the sky when you die. <laughs> right? Because it just it sounds too good to be true. It sounds too far-fetched. So what is, what is the assurance that it is true? What is the guarantee that this is what really is coming? And what's the assurance that you will receive it, that you won't miss out or that you won't fall short of the glory? What's the guarantee? Well, that leads us to the third thing which we see, which is the help to glory. There's a help to glory. right? God doesn't leave you on your own as you wait. He gives you a helper, and the helper is the Holy Spirit. Do you know everything Paul has been talking about in this passage? It's, it's everything that God is going to do when Jesus returns. Or to be more specific, it's, it's everything the Holy Spirit is going to do, the transformation he is going to bring to our bodies and to the entire creation when Jesus comes again, 
But see, what verse 23 actually says is that we already have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have him, notice verse 23 again, He's, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And that word first fruits, it's so significant in this passage because what the first fruit was, was the guarantee of a future harvest. You know, when the first fruits come in, you realise, aha, we are going to have a wonderful harvest this year. Or another metaphor the Bible uses that's like this one is a down payment on a future inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, it's like saying that the future transformation that's coming is already in your life now. Okay, you already have a foretaste of it. It's already begun. And, and what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life now? He is transforming you. Now, he is slowly changing you to be more like Christ so that you actually reflect Christ's glory in your life now. And so we can see that what's coming, it's already started. That's how you can be sure. That's the guarantee you have the Holy Spirit. But then that leads to another question, and that is what about those times, though, when it feels like none of that's working? What about when sometimes when we suffer and it's like the clouds of suffering just close in and completely block out the light of God's presence in our lives. What about then? What about those times when, when you know, the, the, the future that we have, it just seems too distant. It seems like it's impossible. And, and the things that, that we found help with in the past, they no longer work. Now, even prayer feels like it's empty and void. We don't even know what to pray for. What, what about then? Well, have a look at verse 26. Even then, there's something going on that gives us assurance. See, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that's the third time that this passage talks about groaning. Now, creation's groaning. We're groaning inwardly. And now we hear that the Spirit is groaning for us. And in case you're wondering, the groaning, it's not an audible sound. You know, it's creation. That's not an audible sound. It talks about inward groaning. So it seems like the groaning in the passage, it's just that sense that things are not the way they should be. But here we see that God, he cares for us so much that our groaning causes him to groan. And his groaning, it's different to ours. His groaning isn't just the sense that things aren't right. His groaning is actually prayers, prayers for us. See, when we're so overwhelmed with suffering that we feel like we can hardly even pray, God doesn't just sit there waiting for instructions. It's not like he's saying, you know, I'd like to help, but you've got to tell me what to do. He doesn't do that. It says the Spirit himself intercedes. The Spirit prays when we can't. And uh, he communicates to the Father on our behalf. Uh, later on, this passage is going to say that Jesus also intercedes for us, which means that we have all three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all caring for us so wonderfully, which means that when we're overwhelmed, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit does it for you and he, and he asks for exactly what you need. And it always works because verse 27 says, 
He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, listen, according to the will of God. He knows exactly what you need and you get it, which is why you can endure. endure. Haven't you ever wondered when you meet someone who goes through horrendous suffering and, and, and it looks like they could never hang on, And yet they do. Why? How does that happen? Well, now we know why. Because of what the Spirit's doing in their life. Now, does this mean we never have to pray now? Because, you know, we'll just leave it to the Spirit to do it. (laughs) He's much better than us. Is that what it's saying? No, that's not the point. The point is that in suffering, not only do we have a wonderful hope, but we have a wonderful help. A help that assures us that we're never left on our own. You know, through Christ, you are a child of God and nothing can change that. And therefore, no matter what you go through, the future is sure because Christ has risen. He's been glorified. He's given you the Holy Spirit as the down payment for that. And so you can be absolutely sure that it's coming. The glory you will have one day, it will far outweigh all of the burdens of this life. And therefore, you can endure. Okay, You have a hope that will give you an anchor so you can keep going. You can wait patiently in suffering. You know, we don't, we don't get through suffering by minimizing the pain. We get through by maximizing the glory that is to come. And just one last thing. For those of you here who haven't put your faith in Jesus, don't you wish all this was true? And my question to you is, what hope have you got without Jesus? But look, it's a gift. You can receive it too. Take hold of the Saviour and all of this and more will all be yours. The hope of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible picture of what's to come. And Lord, in our, in our, our fallenness, we can hardly imagine it. We can hardly imagine what it could possibly be like to have a world where there is no sin or suffering or death. And yet we know that it's coming because uh, you tell us and you always speak the truth. Lord, help us to uh, embrace this, uh, especially, Lord, when we are overwhelmed, uh, when we don't know what to pray. Uh, help us just to rest in your promise and to rest in your care. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who who is already working in us, Lord, and who will pray for us when we don't know how to pray. We just thank you for that, Father. And we do pray today, Lord, for those who are suffering, uh, that this will bring comfort and and hope and a peace, uh, that that we would be able to endure uh, with patience. Lord, help us not to to grumble, but just to set our sights on the Lord Jesus and to think about how he, he went all the way to the cross to make this future glory a reality for us. <clears throat> and we praise you uh, for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.